0: Hey everybody, this episode um, unintentionally turned into a more follow-along, a sectional chart, which isn't very conducive to the audio format of a podcast where you're listening with your beautiful Harman and Kardon speakers driving down the highway. So what I recommend is skip to about 25 minutes into this episode. That's when we get off of the sectional chart stuff. And then that stuff doesn't require the sectional chart to follow along with. And then if you're able to get in front of a computer, go to skyvector.com and then re-listen to the, uh, the first 25-ish minutes uh, of this episode so you can follow along. I think you'll get a lot more out of it than just listening to it driving in your car. But um, either way, do whatever you want to do. Uh, don't set and warn you. So yes, Mr. Griffin, what, uh, what's the next, the next item on the list? We'll just jump right into it here.
1: Yeah. The next thing, um, we left off with, uh, the general emergency frequency and the next one here, I just have bullet pointed flag by a city or by an airport on a sectional or a terminal area chart. Um, as I've prefaced before, this is kind of just like a, a checklist. That's what the uh, what, kind of what the, the document is titled here. Uh, checklist, you'd have your sectional kind of sprawled out over top of a table and you're just kind of pointing around at things and just making sure they have a really good overview and you've caught anything that you may have omitted uh, during the, the normal course of training. Um, and so flag by a city or an airport. And what that is, that's a visual checkpoint for like contacting ATC. When you're referencing for like an initial call up, where you are, if you're doing a VFR initial call up, so you can reference a, a spot.
0: Okay, is the, I'm trying to find an example of
1: this. Uh, what do you have? What do you have pulled up?
0: I'm just pull. I'm just moseying around like the Detroit area? sectional here. The
1: I don't have a Detroit Delta. I don't have a Detroit sectional. But okay. if you if you go uh go along the lake shore towards Cleveland, can you do that? Uh-huh. Yeah. I have a terminal area chart for Cleveland in my hand. Oh man. You'll see the Avon Stacks.
0: Avon Stacks. Right along
1: the shoreline.
0: Right along the shoreline. So we went to 88 Delta. I'm on skyvector.com. I know this drives the viewers, listeners nuts when you're in your car listening through your Bose speakers. Your Harman and Carden speakers. Yeah, I can't, I can't see this, Lee. I don't know. I, I'm not finding it.
1: It's by Lorraine. <clears throat> well, it's going to be east of Lorraine. Oh, east of Lorraine. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I this guess I'll says, pull up Sky Factor.
0: It says Stacks here.
1: It may say Stacks. Does it say Stacks? Maybe it does. Yeah, there's no There's no flag, though. Well, hold on. Hmm. Let me go to charts.
0: Boom. And if you're frustrated by us always referencing things you cannot see, and you're driving and not being able to pull up Skyvector.com, stay tuned for episode 100. We well, have something okay. Go ahead. That'll be Sorry. right up this alley. Uh, as far as uh,
1: go ahead. Yeah. Well, let's uh let's switch up gears. I have Skyvector pulled up now. Okay. So, actually, honestly, this this may almost be perfect. So, oh. so one thing, if you're looking at a general sectional, most people, even in the age of digital everything for flight, sectional charts they're only so detailed for like kind of the the FAA has like a a, a design in mind. They have a concept in how you're going to use their different publications. So, in a general sectional chart. They assume that that you're going to be operating in not the busiest airspace on that chart. So we've referenced the Detroit sectional and on, on the Detroit sectional and Cleveland is kind of like our home, you know, kind of uh, right near where we grew up. And, and we can reference a lot of the stuff like home field advantage, like we kind of got a feel for how everything goes. Well, so that being a Cleveland's a Class Bravo airspace, so some of the busiest controlled airspace, uh, you know, there is Class Bravo airports. All the biggest airports are going to be Class Bravo, and so. But what they're saying is, if if a sectional is pretty much. They, want you, they don't want you to be solely relying for navigation to operate in and out of a class Bravo. They don't want you to be using a sectional. They want you to do your due diligence and get in a terminal area chart, which approximately, I think, doubles the scale. So you have a lot more um, detail when you're working with a terminal area chart. So let's say Cleveland kind of dominates the, the Detroit sectional, at least in our area where we grew up flying and stuff. Um, so that would be kind of like low-hanging fruit, but they don't want you to be just going into uh, class the Class Bravo like willy-nilly. They want you to go get off a of sectional. They want you to get a terminal air charge so you have all the detail. You can be more precise in your location so that you're you know avoiding the Class Bravo airspace, the altitudes, and exactly where does that ring fall, how many miles DME. And if you're using pilotage and things like that, you get a lot more double the detail. Basically, out of a terminal area chart versus just a sectional. Their intent, the FAA's intent, is not for you to go fly into a class Bravo airspace uh, VFR off a sectional chart. There's just not enough detail. Um, may, may, I mean, you can make it work probably, but their intent is for you to have a terminal area chart in your hand. So, uh, and, and so coming back to the flag by a, uh, by a, um, Um, You know, by maybe a specific uh, waypoint or some type of topographical, you know, or visual landmark or something like that to report an ATC where you are. Um, If you were to go down on the Detroit sectional, uh, Rob, and you find Uh Akron Canton, which is a class Charlie, uh, solid magenta. Yeah. You'll see right north of that. Kind of buried in that outermost circle. There's a flag that just says Akron. <laughs> you see that? There's a yes. flag. Yes?
0: What which direction from uh I'm at ACO? K-A-C-O?
1: Well, well, that's the well, ACO is the VOR. Okay. Well, you will actually no, that has one too. That has one too. That one has one too. You're right. So um what we need to find. All right. So we're uncovering all kinds of good stuff here. So you're looking at the VOR. K-C-A-K.
0: K-C-A-K. Well, yeah,
1: that's the airport. But we're trying to find visual checkpoints. Yep. Okay. So there's a bunch around Akron Canton, which has kind of proven my point. So if we go, do you see the flags?
0: Yeah, there's a minute to one south over like the yellow Canton area. Well, what does it say?
1: It says what,
0: stacks.
1: Okay. So you'll look at the flag. So I'm trying to find it. So for the listener, which I'm trying to say yeah. it in a way that they can visualize. So when you see, when you find one of these um, flags, kind of sprinkled around a class Charlie or a class Bravo, we'll get to the class Bravo again, but we've migrated down towards Akron Canton, which has K C A K is the identifier. And again, like I've said, the intent for the FAA is, is this is kind of more the airspace. This is the highest, most controlled airspace you'd really be using. Where uh, the sectional for beyond that, and I can give you a couple of examples why I believe that's true. Right now, we can just focus on these on these flags. If you look around KCAK Akron, Can, it's class Charlie. You can look around all the perimeters, all the different directions you could possibly be coming from, and you'll find one of these flags. And so, what you want to do is you'll find uh, if you go out to the, you'll, you'll find what you want to call that is underlined. So, if you were to look at Akron Canton, out to the, if you go straight east, due east of the airport, about uh, 15 miles maybe, there's a yellow, there's a yellow area, which means that's what the city would look like at night. And it uh-huh. says Alliance and it's underlined. Yep. And that's what you would call that. So you'd call up Akron Can Approach, Cessna so-and-so. They'd come back. Cessna so-and-so, Akron Can Approach. Go ahead. Akron Can Approach, Cessna so-and-so. We are over Alliance, 3,500, VFR inbound with information, Yankee, or whatever you're proposing that you want to do. Maybe you're not VFR inbound. Maybe you just want flight following, and it's a good way for them to radar identify you. And so that's straight out to the east from Akron, Canton is Alliance, and you'll see that it's bolded black and underlined. If we migrate, do you have anything, anything to add, Rob? Or ask? No, no,
0: I, I'm following along now. Okay. On Skyvector.com.
1: Yeah. So if we kind of go around, uh, go counterclockwise, and we kind of head up around, and we find the Akron Vor A C O. This one gets a little bit trickier because where when you finally get to um, the uh, what you would call that it's actually in the vor information box so the actual vor is a, is a visual checkpoint or a, a waypoint you can and, and you can be using the vor I, I got to be honest with you I don't know if they expect you to visually see it out in a field which I don't know I'm kind of dorky so sometimes when I'm flying along I do look for the mountain fields if I'm low enough Um, I don't know if they expect you to visually see that or if you're just past station passage or you're in the vicinity, obviously in the vicinity, you're not right over any of these because like Alliance, that's a big blob of a town. So you're just somewhere over it that you, that's not super specific. This is a VFR, you know, they're not, you don't have to be right over top of it. Um, So yeah, we've gone to the Akron VOR that can be station passage. I imagine, or you can visually see it out the window. You're near the uh, Akron VOR. And th- so that you're just kind of telling them where they are so they can radar identify you a little bit or find you a little bit easier. Then if we keep going around, you'll find Kent. Um, and I believe they're referencing the actual city. There's a Kent airport, Kent State University airport. But the flag yeah. looks like it's kind of stuck right into the, uh, the city. And then you can just keep going all the way around. We've kind of gone counterclockwise here, but you can just you keep go- going around and find them.
0: Yeah, if you go uh, so if you're on ACO the Akron VOR, yep, and you go straight uh, southeast, uh-huh. it'll be Miller, which is the airport yes. name, is underlined and it's got a flag sticking out of the airport.
1: Yes, I missed that one. Yeah, it's a little further out to the. I wanted to talk about the Akron one because it was buried in the VOR information box. Like, what is this? Yeah. What do you call? It? I see the flag,
0: but I don't yep, see yep, the yep.
1: dark underlined or anything but Miller is another great example of that same concept that I did not see if you so, go up
0: to the Ch- the Chardon uh, Chardon VOR uh-huh. is that how you pronounce that yeah it's not underlined because that VOR is not a um. what do you call those things with the flag like a visual That's, checkpoint the visual a checkpoint, checkpoint. It's, it yeah. doesn't have the visual the flag so it's not underlined most VOR's yep. names are not underlined yes uh, the Akron VOR is unique in that aspect yep because yep. they are it's, expecting it to be a uh, visual navigation
1: aid. Yes, yes, you got it. Wow, um,
0: I learned something. Well, I, I knew it at one point and I've forgotten, so I, I should say I relearned something.
1: Yes, yes, and I'm struggling to find one that's kind of oriented for the class Bravo. Again, there's one of, you know, you brought up the Chardon VOR, and if we've migrated up there kind of the to the north of everything we were originally talking about. I believe the Geauga County, which is very, it's just to the southeast of Chardon VOR, CXR, if somebody wanted to kind of zoom in on that. Um, Charlie X-Ray Romeo is the VOR, if you want to type it in to kind of get your centered up. Right to the southeast of the VOR is Geauga County. Well, that's underlined. It's got the flag. That's a visual checkpoint or it's a, a waypoint, a checkpoint, whatever you call it. What's the sectional? Hold on. What's the sectional chart call it? Um... It says VFR Waypoint I think is what they're calling it Kind of hard because actually next to a VFR waypoint that's kind of weird. Um, I don't know exactly. I'd actually have to get out a document to tell you what they' what they are actually calling these um, because it's a little misleading because there's a VFR waypoint which they've started making VFR specific charts and it's like the picture of like a um, a GPS waypoint. They're, that might be what they're talking about, VFR waypoints. But I'm going to go with the flag, VFR waypoint, visual waypoint, visual checkpoint, something like that. Yeah. Somebody can correct me. I'm sure they will. I hope they do. And um, this, is a, this, this yeah. is
0: a very sky vector I just thing I figured out as I was playing around with it. Uh-huh. Uh, the default is going to be, uh, like, when you go into the map and you pull up sky vector, you can uh-huh. type in the search bar and stuff. It's going to default on this little uh box in the top right of your map called World VFR Yeah, and like in our case since we're in the area of Cleveland if um, we're on the Detroit sectional you can go to you click Detroit and it'll basically pull up a more um, exact reference of the Detroit sectional I think and then if you go over Cleveland uh, K-C-L-E to the right of that appears Cleveland TAC so, you click that, and it is your terminal area chart on Sky Vector. And then now that I pulled that up, Lee, I can see what you're talking about the Avon stacks uh, right there along the lakeshore, uh, just to the left of Hopkins there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, the, the sectional we were referencing before, more oriented towards the lowest or the highest possible airspace the most congested airspace they really want you operating with with the sectional level of detail going to be the class charlie like i said but if you're going into the class bravo the busiest airspaces we have uh that we can f- legally fly into you know as a, a vfr pilot um would be the class bravo they want you to go fl- they want you to get a, a terminal area chart or look at it so um i'll pull up the cleveland i think i think we have Looked at that because it seems like I don't see any of these visual checkpoints for the class Bravo on the sectional. So if we move on, I th- but I mean, I think we've kind of covered the point. Um, if we go to the terminal chair, oh, that even—that's like a PDF scan of it.
0: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. So you can you can even go to the side and look up. Like the little the legend. legends and stuff. you can do that same thing if you if you remove it from World VFR, which is the default, and then click, in our case, Detroit or your local area, uh, whatever the name of the sectional is. And mm-hmm. you click on that, it becomes that sectional, and you can read uh, what's actually on the paper charts, like on the side, legends. Um, it's all right there for you.
1: Super handy. I always recommend getting a paper one anyways because nothing beats. Oh, yeah, me too. No, nothing beats, and I and again, I think that having that as like a memento, um, getting through the check ride and all your all your scribbles are on there, um, and all the your first your solo cross countries and all the cross countries you've done are all on there. I, I don't know, I just think it's cool. You're gonna have big old holes wore out in the middle where you folded it a billion times. I think it's great. Um, but yeah, if you were to dial in, I wish we had somebody else's feedback. Like if we had the chat going, somebody could say, "Hey, look at this one," whatever. But. Um, the the cleveland one just go into the cleveland terminal area chart you can see oh um i get i think oh, let me finish this thought i guess um here with the cleveland terminal chart you know we see the avon stacks like i was originally talking about and so this is oriented around it's the terminal area chart for cleveland so you're going to be operating typically within 30 miles i think is 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 pretty much considered the terminal i've kind of zoomed in so i've kind of lost how far out does this go, Rob? What in the terminal area chart? Yeah, terminal area chart goes. So the terminal area is typically considered about 30 miles from the center of the runway complex out. So, um, this pretty much goes to the edge of the, um, the, uh, mode C veil, yeah. which is 30 miles from the center of the runway complex. So, um, that kind of all stands to reason. So we got a little bit extra, you know, just obviously for for getting in there. And the, the, it's not exactly, but they want to give you a lot of detail. So you're sure of of where you are when you're calling in and you're sure you're not busting airspace. They're giving you this. This is just a really good tool to help uh, keep keep you legal and make the ATC's job easy. Like I said, I think it's about double double the detail of a sectional chart.
0: Yeah, I believe that's about,
1: about what I what it looks like. Um, so yeah, we talked about the specific VFR. Um, and so what's interesting is if you're out flying VFR and you're looking, you're using your sectional chart, and you notice on a Class Charlie airport, which we've just talked about Akron Canton, because that's kind of on the Detroit sectional on the same side as Cleveland, you'll see information boxes. Um, out to, you know, pretty much typically, I think the east and west is where I've normally seen them. And I'm looking at these, they're all east and west of the airport. And on a sectional chart, it'll say, you know, contact Akron can approach on such and such frequency. And you don't get that same information on a sectional chart for a class Bravo airport. And again, that's further evidence that I have kind of supporting my case that the FA really their intent is for you to get a terminal area chart because those information boxes for the class Bravo are now on the terminal area chart. If you want to go now, nav- if you want to go fly VFR into a class Bravo airport using just a sectional, you got to fold over to a legend on the side and look up the frequency for the class Bravo. They don't make it they don't make it hard, but they don't make it as easy as flying into a class Charlie on the, using yes. a sectional or just you look at four, four flight. That'll do it well, too. <laughs> yeah. Do all that. Yeah. Make it, make it easy.
0: Yep. Yeah, a lot of this, yeah. Um, I think it's less relevant now because you're more keeping a sectional chart, the paper as a backup these days for most people. So it, I mean, in the backup, I feel like the sectional is, is good to have a current sectional chart as a backup to flight in the area you're flying in. Whereas if you're in the terminal area, the sectional does cover, still kind of cover the terminal area. And it's a backup anyway. And the flight or the Garmin app, whatever that is thing is, those basically are going to give you all those details that the terminal area chart is going to give you as well, which is going to be your primary Source of this, you know, your map source in this day and age for flight, uh, for flight of the garment, you know, any of these. Does that make sense?
1: No, yeah, I mean, everybody's gonna go with that. I, I I don't know, I, I even like the way these sectionals look though, to be honest with you, even in you know, digital. Obviously, I don't know, yeah, I just, I just like it. I mean, we have the Jeppesen Flight Deck Pro, and you know, you can look at VFR charts on there, it's just not the same. I don't know is nostalgia, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. Um, email man, us. Kinda, what's uh, that?
0: Email us. What's what's your opinion, you the listener, on the oh. paper versus the um, the digital now? What do you use? What do you like to use for like the actual flight? What do you like to use for the actual like pre flight? i mentioned in past episodes. I uh, I prefer paper for like the the vision and like planning purposes and laying it out in the pre-flight before I get in the plane. But once I'm in the plane, I prefer the digital. Uh, Lee is I believe you said you were opposite. If you were going to do the switch up. Say, say what? what? What do you mean switch up? What do you mean? Like- um, I remember in the past you, unless I misremember, you, you said you were opposite of, of me in the regard. If you were going to choose one for the other, you would do digital for the pre-flight and then you'd want the physical for the actual airplane. I just, I just like having the chart mm. when you have a big table, to lay it out yep. on and you draw the yep. line for the planning of the flight and then figuring out where you know, how you're going to go and everything, getting the big picture and then folding that thing up, throwing it in the back as a backup and then actually using, you know, the iPad with some sort of software on it for the actual flight portion of it.
1: No, that's, I think that's no, my,
0: that's my preference.
1: I think I'd go with you there. Yeah. I think I, yeah, I'd be on board with that. I mean, if you're going to go any further, like if you're going to go on a real long cross country, I mean, why take a bunch of a bunch of paper maps? I mean, you can have them, you know, for for, um, you know, backup, but like you can't keep you can't tape them together on the ground and then fold them all up all together and then follow along that way. It's just not practical. I mean, for flight or whatever app you're using has a major edge in that regard. Just pinch oh, yeah. and zoom and all these things and follows along and weather's right on it. You don't have to guess to me. Oh, I see that cell on this radar, but where is that on my route? It's all it's it's all there, which is super handy. But yeah, I don't. I as far as maneuvering a big chart in the cockpit, although I think I, I I'm not against that, obviously, but you're doing a long flight, it becomes impractical. I think. So, four flight, I mean, all all day long, I guess, in the cockpit for a long cross country. If you can keep it on one chart, like if you're in like a kind of a, a more of a toy airplane where you're not going as far and you're all staying pretty much on the Detroit sectional or one sectional, I think that's I think that's doable and that's fine. That's kind of like romantic, if you will. Yeah, in my opinion, you're flying a
0: J three Cub around with no electronics and no electrical system,
1: totally. Yeah, might as well have a paper chart. Might as well have a paper, paper chart. Paper chart's
0: probably the advantage in that situation. Like we beat that to death and got off track. What was the next item on your magical list of magic?
1: The next, uh, the next item is risk management. Oh, just a little blurb about that. And the FA has a risk management handbook. Did you know that, Rob?
0: Uh, only because you have mentioned it on the show before.
1: Oh, okay. Um, so the way kind of so what I have here is i'm I'm actually going to kind of uh, what do I want to say paraphrase what I have written here. But risk management, one of the most important principles of risk management is basically acknowledging that the risk exists. And an example I have written here to kind of sum up the point is, you know, if you're flying over water, if you don't acknowledge, that the engine may fail, you're not going to take a life preserver. Like that's obviously maybe a little bit extreme, but I mean, cause there's, you, you can boil risk down. I mean, there's little bits of risk in every single thing that we do, especially involving airplanes. And so you have to acknowledge that the risk exists in order for you to do anything about it, to help mitigate it. That's pretty much short and sweet. I think that that's, that's that. I'll, I mean, I'll talk about it, but
0: I think this, I've mentioned this before, the scuba diving community, I think, does a better job at this. Not necessarily like the, you went to a resort and you got your little scuba certificate and they took you on a dive. I'm talking like the more advanced courses, like technical diving, like cave diving, like deep diving on wrecks and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just, you're constantly managing the risks and they, they just do it. They emphasize it more in those more advanced scuba training stuff. And I, I didn't even realize the FAA had that risk management handbook. That could be the void that I thought existed that maybe doesn't doesn't uh, actually have a void with uh, the aviation stuff.
1: Risk. I don't... I just... I don't know if scuba diving is so unlike anything else you do in your day and day out life where people perceive an airplane to be just like an extension of cars and driving like people, like on one hand, they to- totally acknowledge that it's not, but through the course of training, it becomes every day they show up for a lesson. It becomes more and more similar to their drive to the airport. They draw parallels yeah. in their mind they And they mitigate risks the same way, or the lack thereof. You know what I mean? The lack of mitigating risks. Um, so, and that's where you have to get your mind wrapped around. I mean, I, I, maybe not, but yeah, I mean, there's probably a lot that could be learned from, yeah, scuba diving or anything that is unlike your, your, your day-in-day-out life people are seeking parallels, it helps them learn, right? But in that, we start actually detracting from the semi-catastrophic nature of, you know, going and flying a single-engine airplane. There's a ton of risks, and every single one of them, you know, you have to have an answer for, or at least a little bit of an answer, how you'll address if that single-engine airplane, which, you know, obviously only has one engine, if that fails, if that starts running rough what what are your what are your steps how do we mitigate those risks and you know thinking about that in your car so if the more we liken it the more we get comfortable the more we liken it to a car and um the more parallels we draw the more desensitized to those risks we become and i guess i'm kind of painting a picture of a little bit of if you really stretch it to complacency yeah you got to treat it more like scuba diving you got to treat it more like a submarine or more like a a space shuttle. You know what I mean? It's too similar. And that's been the goal of aviation, right? Make it every, make it achievable, attainable for everybody. And I don't know, has that hurt? Has that killed people? Yeah. I mean, I think as
0: technology improves, there's, there's always the debate of the technology makes everything arguably safer. Yes. There's no disagreeing with that, but it also, I think, Adds the complacency factor because people it makes it easier and easier. People get more and more comfortable, and then that almost is like a opposite. If you had like a chart, the more technology improves, you know that would be going up one way. And as the technology improves and gets better and better, complacency, you know, goes up with it. And that like almost, I don't know if it completely voids all the improvements in safety, but it's certainly a factor that i think reduces the gains the technology probably should have initially
1: done mhm if that makes sense yeah as long as you can count on as long as the re- the reliability of the technology you know exceeds yeah as long as the re- reliability of the technology is there and you can count on it which you know we're talking somewhat sort of re- uh, just in the last little bit about like the the flight on the ipad well, iPads are pretty reliable. That's a bet I'm willing to. That's a bet I'm willing to take. You know what I mean? You don't need a sectional in the back for the most part. But in the one time that it doesn't work or your, the battery dies because you had to go around a thunderstorm or you went down the wrong mountain pass and you had to turn around and you know, who knows? There's a billion examples like that, probably, but. That's just one example, you know, technology, the, the information you get out of that iPad and flight and the apps far, far exceed like the weight. What are you worried about? The weight, maybe a little bit of complexity in running and running it, but hardly any. So, yeah.
0: yeah. We it's, always joke around. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, if you have, I can't think of another item. Well, we have, you know, with automation, with autopilots and auto throttles and all these things, you have to understand, you have to be able to revert back to flying, stick and rudder flying. If the highly automated, the technology, the tech side of things, if that fails, yeah, it's a great improvement. And it is a safety feature because it's almost like adding a third pilot. You know, it, it takes you as the pilot and puts you in a more of a management role of the airplane. And that allows you to focus and it frees up your faculties to to, to take in more information. You are not so just inundated with hand flying the airplane and making sure you're on airspeed altitude and heading and all these things and intercepting the VOR course, the localizer and all the glide slope, all these things. It frees you up. It is a safety feature, but when it breaks or isn't doing what you want it to do, you still need to be able to fly the airplane. So that's an extreme example. But I would say you know you when another piece I, I can't think of a, of a better example that proves the point, but you need to be able to do without it and if it starts taking you the wrong direction metaphorically, you need well literally with with an autopilot, but in any other regard, if it starts taking you somewhere you don't want to go or is doing something you don't want it to do, you need to be able to not only be able to handle without it, but you need to be able to get it back from whatever undesirable aircraft state that it has put you in. I can't think of another appliance or tech piece that would, that would actually get you there. But you know, an autopilot is a great example because it can actually, yeah, it's that third pilot I just said, but it also can turn the wrong way. You can have the wrong, approach set in the wrong arrival set in it turns reverse sensing it's doing something you don't expect so it could actively go the wrong make the wrong turn 180 degree wrong turn and you not only need to be able to do without it but you need to be able to correct the situation um, manually kick the autopilot off hand fly get it back from whatever undesirable aircraft state that it puts you in
0: yeah and even like we we always joke about the uh, the Cirrus shoot, but that's arguably, I mean, an amazing piece of technology. It's good, um, but it's it's good and improves safety. I think more so when the pilot is running and operating as though that did not exist, and it's just an extra option within it. Versus, mm. I think sometimes people like, well. If I get myself into that trouble, I always got the shoot. Yeah. It's like, you know, then you're going and doing stuff that you wouldn't have been doing without that shoot. And then now you're back in the the zone of how much safer are you because
1: of that, if that makes sense. Totally. You've reduced your, you haven't gained any safety margin because you're being more risky, basically. Yeah. You're doing things you wouldn't do if you didn't have the shoot. So if you don't if you wouldn't do it without the chute, don't do it with the chute or your margin of safety is not realized.
0: Yeah, and the same thing with like that the Garmin Auto land stuff. It's like that's an amazing piece of technology if you're gonna still operate as if it didn't exist in the plane, and then you know, if something does happen where that comes into play, you know, awesome. Save the day. But if you're like now like doing stuff that's outside of the like that you wouldn't do if that didn't if that feature wasn't on your plane now you're just asking for trouble because you're just basically eroding that piece of the of safety margin you can put into your risk management if you're now doing more stuff because of it i can't think i can think of more stuff with the shoot than the the auto land stuff that's pretty much if the pilot just passes out
1: the auto land yeah, yeah, that's, like, kind of, like, the best way to mitigate, like, that, to, like, not rely on that is if you take two pilots. I mean, that's a bad situation, auto-line. I mean, you're talking, you know, a pilot's incapacitated, you know, or gone, like, not, like, dead. You know what I mean? So, yeah. how do you get around that? You know, a second yep. pilot, that's the only way. It's not like the shoot where you have a single, is, well, like... Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, if you if you got the dough and you fly around with your wife and kids all the time, and you know they're not pilots, it's not in your smaller plane. That's not really feasible to always have a second pilot on board. So I do right, think it's an amazing piece of technology for for that situation.
1: I I couldn't I couldn't agree more. But like so if, like if you start thinking of it from like a backstop perspective, the shoot. So, certain airplanes that have the auto land are single engine makes sense, yeah I mean it's fine. I mean, it's fine, maybe it doesn't make the most sense, but it makes good sense.
0: well, I'm sure they'll roll it out in more and more models as yeah. time goes on,
1: yeah well, the higher pro- the the more complex the airplane, the higher probability that there may be a second pilot in there. you know what I mean, like I don't know, but the, what I'm getting at though is the Shoot will help a fully functional pilot. Like if an engine were to fail, they get into IMC and they're only VFR rated or they get into a spin in Like for example, like in a Cirrus, a lot of airplanes have these, these chutes, these parachutes now anyways, but I don't know what their spin certification is, but you get into some of these situations. uh, Again, having only one engine, that engine fails. It'd be nice to have the shoot. The Autoland isn't going to help you if you don't have an engine running. Yeah. I don't know.
0: But there's situations where, I mean, you're just, the pilot just has freaked out, gotten way beyond their skill set. You know, they're in the soup. They don't know what, they're disoriented. They don't know what's going on. You put a pilot in that situation, where say they they have the auto land, and they also have the shoot. I don't mm. I don't know a plane that has both yet. Yeah. But um, I'm sure eventually there'll be a plane that has both. Yes. And then in that like there are situations where I think it'd be way better to hit that auto land button than pull that shoot.
1: Hundred percent. Almost every because, time.
0: Yeah. The engine you, would
1: need to fail in that situation. Yeah. Those would be like orders of magnitude.
0: Yep. Because if the engine's still running, I mean, that auto land in theory can get the plane back down the runway all in one piece. You pull that chute, you've now, there's a lot of variables that can come into play that are just out of your control. Right. You know?
1: Yeah, but then what if the auto land doesn't work? You're relying on tech, you know, for some reason, what if you, you hit the button or whatever it is? It gives you a big red X and you're like, (laughs) what now? I needed that. I needed this thing to do what it's supposed to do right now. Yeah. You need to be able to fall back.
0: What if the chute wasn't packed right? You know what I mean?
1: That's why you got to practice emergency landings, you know? That's why you practice all these things. You have to practice what your airplane is capable of doing, you know, and Cirrus will glide. These airplanes that have these chutes will glide. So you need to be able to to do the best you can and plan for it. Plan for these these risks, like we're talking about. Plan for it. If that engine, if you don't know that that engine will fail, you're not gonna pick a higher altitude to to go fly cross-country. You're gonna go low and and whatever and see the sights, whatever, and there's risk involved with that. You don't have any options if that were engine were to fail. You know, if you're going to go 2,500 feet, well, you get a lot more options at 4,500 feet. Altitude stores energy four times better than uh, airspeed. So not that, I mean, not that we're comparing airspeed and altitude, but altitude is a great store of kinetic energy. So... Um, Gravity is pretty reliable. That's for sure. That's for sure if you have the chute, that will that obviously is a great uh, a great advantage on top of it but what if why pull the shoot if there's an airport 10 miles from you and you're at 9000 or 10000 feet you know what i mean we can't yeah. let go of those basic skills and things that we are hopefully are learning or teaching depending on which end of the t- which side of the table you're on and you know the, the auto land thing that almost makes you think like you were kind of explaining it a second ago, and I'm just thinking like, so now we have somebody who can be almost fearless taking off in low visibility because he knows they can just press the button. And if yep. it's if it is too much, it'll just find the localizer, the nearest localizer and fly the thing in. Find the nearest ILS and fly the thing in. It's like, man. Technology is great if it's a piloting capacitation and the wife and kids are on board. But man, if it just makes you take risks and be foolish, that's not good. Yeah. Very interesting point you brought up.
0: Yeah, there's situations where, like I said, that I think planes will eventually come out with both of those technologies. And it's, I think, a lot of your risk management. Is going to have to be training of when to use what get out of jail free card. Yeah. Because it's different situations. It would make sense to pull the chute, you know, where other situations it would make way more sense to, to press that auto land button.
1: Yeah. For sure.
0: You could probably do multiple episodes just on that in the future. Once those, once we get a plane that has both, we'll wait until then maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we can start drilling down on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah Mm mm-hmm um yes that's risk management gotta acknowledge that a risk exists every from the from the minute you're leaving your house to get in your car to drive to the airport i mean obviously there's gonna be risk driving your car but those are separate mitigate those real time just like you know like you should but start thinking about what that weather's doing what type of you know um, risk that may introduce you to or expose you to because those risks start, they start cropping up during the pre-flight. Like for example, you have an airplane that's tied down outside that you're doing a pre-flight on and it's cold out. It's winter time and you're wearing shorts. I'm, ex- I'm stretching the example. You're not, you may not do the most thorough pre-flight cause you're cold. You're going to rush the pre-flight and maybe miss something. And and actually that, that's a that's a crazy example, but dial it back into something more pertinent. You're a businessman or woman and you're wearing kind of a like a, a suit or like kind of you know business, business attire. That stuff's not always the best for thermal, you know, thermal heat retention and stuff like that. So you're gonna be out there, you're wearing like dress shoes or whatever, and they're not that well insulated. You're gonna be cold, you're gonna be rushing a pre-flight. So those, I mean, those those uh, risks start, start creeping in like during the pre-flight. So that's just yeah. an example. I'm sure there's others too, but.
0: Or that same business attire when you're pre-flighting an airplane on the tarmac in South Florida in August and September, when maybe you should be in a sweat-wicking shirt and shorts. Yeah. Would be a uh, better attire to do a thorough pre-flight in 90-some degree weather.
1: That's, that may almost even be a better point because there's kind of like a preconceived notion, you know, look, look better, you know, like, let's say you're a a successful businessman or woman and you own the airplane. Let's fast forward. You, you own the airplane. Um, You're, you own the airplane. You're going to go for like a, I don't know, not, maybe not a business meeting or something, but you you have a reason to stay kind of in in your business attire. That's a really great point. You know, there's a, you kind of want to stay. You know, kind of prim and proper, but that's maybe doing you a disservice for not only the pre flight, but then you go get in these sweat boxes. You got a taxi out to the runway. Maybe you're rushing a checklist to to taxi fast so you can keep airflow coming in the window because you don't have air conditioning in a lot of these little airplanes. So you rush a checklist or skip a checklist or whatever. Then you go take off with the fuel turned off or the mixtures lean or all a billion things. And being comfortable, as comfortable as you can be, uh, that's that's a great point. Yeah wearing, yeah, wearing wearing those slacks or you know that that suit jacket or whatever. Yeah, it might look great. You might look great pre flight in the airplane, but man, I mean overall from a risk management perspective, maybe you're not doing the best thing. Maybe you have that change of clothes and change when you get to the FBO. Leave earlier so you can change when you get to the airport, and then do your pre flight, do all your flying, get to the other airport early, change back or something. I don't know what to tell you, but. I could see that scenario unfolding.
0: And if all that sounds impossible for you to do with your life, maybe buy an airplane that has air conditioning. There is that. And don't and avoid the southern states during the summer.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: A lot of this, do the signatures have the big overhangs you can pull under, or is that some not? of them?
1: Some, I mean, a lot of the Florida airports do have those things, but yeah, I mean, that's that's not typical. No, Mm -mm.
0: I've never experienced that. I've seen them from a distance and I'm like, man, if I wanted to spend a lot of money, I could probably have the plane under there while I pre-flight it.
1: Yeah, but I mean, even still, man, you get that a little bit of breeze of, you know, 90 degrees, 90% humidity. I mean, it can still be, I mean, it's better than being in the baking sun for sure. Or if you're a hangar tenant, just keep it, have them keep it in the hangar, pre-flight it. Yep have them fuel it and pull it out after you've pre-flighted, then all you got to do is make sure they gave you the fuel you want and make sure the gas caps are on. There are ways around this, so I guess we're kind of building, we're talking about the points. How do you mitigate these things? And there's, you know, a hundred ways to skin a cat. So, yeah, just see what works best for you, and it's a constantly evolving uh, technique and mindset that will ultimately, hopefully, you know, have you arrive at, you know, what covers all of your scenarios. You know, if you're flying around in the Northeast in the winter and flying around in the uh, Southeast in the summer, you're going to have to mitigate these things totally differently, which I think we just highlighted. So.
0: Yeah. I think that's uh, I think we'll wrap it up with this one. Keep the episode shorter. It allows me to edit quick, more quickly and work on things yet announced. As I've mentioned many times before, episode 100, don't miss it. Um, If you want to be on the live stream for episode 100, that's even better at robertberger.com backslash live. You sign up for that email list and uh, you get notified when we're going live. We have not gone live lately. Uh, We're going to get back on that uh, at the very, very, very latest for episode 100. We're going to do that. Um, Yeah, this is uh, is a good wrap it up point, I think. Emails, F-A-R-A-I-M at robertberger.com, B-E-R-G-E-R the german way not the sandwich way mr griffings is f-a-r-a-i-m at LeeGriffing.com. g-r-i-f-f-i-n-g don't forget to send scott boris more hate mail for missing this fine recording tonight f-a-r-a-i-m at scottboris.com b-o-r-e-s uh he is the official reader of the written reviews so uh yeah we're not going to do that this time we're uh, we're out like i said sign up for the email list get on that list for the live streaming uh, we have to do q and A. Q&A. We're due for another Q and A, so mm. I'm going to have to send out for uh, for one of those. We usually we, we usually do that on Facebook, but we'll do it uh, on through YouTube for that maybe or Twitch. I get a lot of complaints about the uh, the Facebook ones, as far as people not wanting to go on Facebook and not having Facebook accounts. So uh, Lee Griffin is with you. He does not have one either. So I
1: hear you. Stay strong. Yeah, yeah. stay strong. <laughs>
0: So anyway, yep. sign up for the list and uh, make sure you are listening to episode 100 when we come out uh, at the end of the year here. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks, guys. Do, 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 do. I think that went well. Back on with the air conditioning. Oh, my gosh. I put this on, and I'm like, ah, because I was so cold.
1: Yeah, I got a hoodie on. Well, yeah,
0: you're actually in hoodie weather up there now, right?
1: Just about. Yeah, I mean, it was 70 today, but it was 55 yesterday.
0: Uh, it's still upper 80s here in Florida during the
1: day. Oh, I was just up there. 70s at night. Was just there
0: today. Okay. Yeah.
1: Still toasty. No, oh, I know. It was nice. It was really nice. We went to oh, where yeah. did we go? Fort Walton Beach. So quite a bit <laughs> north of you, obviously. Um, yeah. but I mean it was nice. The beaches there. I didn't know how notice how or I didn't know how nice the beaches were there.
0: Yeah, we Florida's got some nice beaches. Very nice beaches. It's not the whole coast though, there's some junk beaches, but there's a lot of areas with really good beaches. Awesome. Yeah, I, I felt like that was good. The two, two on there is good for a two person get one in the recording bank.
1: Yeah, like I like that that's, risk management one, man. I think I mean I, I think that's we I mean yeah, we, we kind of spider webbed out on some of the flag by a city. I think they got a lot of sectional charts shit that they never thought about. Most yeah. people probably don't think about. That's what this is about. I think finding like yeah. those those like, hey, think about it this way. It's like, oh shit, that makes sense. Look how these kind of integrate.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: Uh but it's crazy. It's just crazy how like so many things just popped up in the middle. I'm like, you know, I read this, like, oh yeah, that's straightforward. No problem. Like I just I I am unable to kind of picture where the conversation will go. And like, oh, we're gonna talk about tack charts, we're gonna talk about sectional charts, we're talking about the scaling, we're talking about, you know, why class Bravo is on the tack chart and why the sectional chart is more oriented towards the class Charlie. Just I'm unable to really like see that far. I don't know. Tell it's tell what's rolling, you know. I know.
0: We'll do, yeah, just get. Eventually, we'll know so much about this stuff. If if at all, just trial by fire. You know what I mean. Hopefully, it's less of that and more of just you know, we find find enough time to like figure stuff out as we go. But, like we're we're never gonna forget that there uh, there are no more. Flight watch. That's something that just will never make that mistake again.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, it's just like so much like, so I I was reading the other day, I was reading in the, the, I was reading the book that you got me and, and I'm just trying to like, there are things that I knew when I was instructing and there are things that have changed since I was instructing. And so like, I need to totally brush up on the things that have changed, like ADSB, not super confident on when you need that pretty much all the mode C, you know, transponder stuff, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to make sure. And like, what are the exemptions? What are not the exemptions? And I'm still actually trying to isolate. Like if you don't have a transponder, if you don't have an electrical system, what can you do? What can't you do? I'm still trying to actually like work my way through that. I have the book open to that right now. It's just not having trouble working through it. But anyways, those things like, so anything has changed. I didn't relearn. I don't use this shit. I mean, I pretend to use some of the stuff. I mean, some of the stuff I legit use, but like a VOR, I'm not bullshit. I mean, I use those all the time. But I don't do weather planning like this. It doesn't matter. I'm flying at 45,000 feet. I don't like what I don't give a about a convective sigmet. I'm going to fly over (laughs) it or around it. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm not in a 172 where you have to, you're not going or you're going to die. You know what I mean? Those are the, your two options, you know. I'm not doing any of that. So it's like the, the more capable the airplane, the less you need to know or plan.
0: I forget what Cochran, Cochran said. Um, I always remember when this jet type stuff, how jets are so different, like especially small business jets like that. I forget what plane he was talking about, but he's like, he's like, yeah, if, like, uh, you lose an engine. Obviously, single engine is terrifying, but still, most piston. Twins, it's terrifying if you were to lose an engine. He's like, if I lose an engine in the jet, I can still climb at three thousand foot a minute. Like it's on the on the one. He's like, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but yeah, right. Maybe it was twenty five
0: hundred or something. Well, I, don't, I
1: don't remember what it was. Yeah, thousand. Yeah, I I don't know what it would be. They would be climbing twenty five hundred feet a minute, single engine, but. Maybe something. I don't I don't know every single airplane, but yeah. And yeah. He, yeah, his point is still valid. A thousand feet a minute single engine is crazy. You hope for yeah. a thousand feet a minute in a 172, yeah. you know? So yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's so different. You've got to learn some more skills and some more piloted shit and, you know, some stick and rotor skills, but the airplane is capable. So, yeah. you know, if you're taking off in the mountains, you just need to have a plan. When that engine fails, yep. I need what you know, what am I following the the actual departure procedure or something special that my company's created or that the FAA has created? Like what am I doing? You have to have that plan because even though it's a thousand feet a minute, doesn't mean you're out climbing the mountains. <laughs> you know what I mean? Necessarily. Yeah. Maybe it will, but not but more than likely not. Especially when you're moving forward that fast. Well, yeah, you're going pretty slow though. If you do, like, if you think about it, if you're doing, if you do like a V1 cut where the engine fails, like right at your decision speed, so it's a decision to go, you have to continue the takeoff, that we call them V1 cuts. If you do that, you're going to climb what's called V2. So, like, V2, like in, in my plane, is like 125 knots, not that fast. All right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, and that was that's similar to the CRJ and everything I've flown. That's eighty five thousand pounds, so it's right in there. One thirty six. I mean, I can get high depending on how much you weigh. I think like the fastest V one speed I ever had was one fifty one. Can you just imagine that? That was our that was our speed that we had to get to on the runway. If we had any failure prior to V one, it was reject the takeoff and stop on the runway remaining. After 151 was our V1 speed. Yeah, that's insane. 151 knots on the ground. Like that. I mean, that's hauling ass. (laughs) Yeah. But. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that would have been probably you know 170 ish, probably V2. So that would have been a little bit faster. But it's not like you're doing 250 knots. You know.
0: Yeah. That's true. Good stuff. Yeah.